Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis, and we are full on into the hockey portion of this stretch here, where we're going to start doing a team or two or three, if we can get the guests lined up per week to get a real good assessment of the state of the NHL bouncing around amongst all of the teams to get a good idea of what the next half of the season is going to look like. We're pretty close to the midway point. Most teams have played close to 41, the halfway point of the game so far this season. A few teams are a little bit behind that pace because they had to be shut down for an extended period of time because of COVID. NHL not going to be having that anymore. The testing rules have changed. So more or less this stretch run here of the next 40 games or so is where the few teams that are still on the periphery trying to fight their way back in are going to give their best damn effort. But it seems like the Eastern Conference is more or less settled. Yesterday, we talked with Andrew Schnitker about the Carolina Hurricanes. Today's show, have a guest to come discuss the Florida Panthers. Brian Smith is a YouTube content creator, and we are going to have a really good talk about one of the more interesting teams that's taken quite a while to find the right recipe to be successful but now that they've tapped into the talent they had and made a few savvy additions they're a bona fide cup contender last year in the pandemic 56 game season that was their coming out party as a contender to say yeah nhl we're we're here we're ready and last year they were a fun exciting story they lost in the first round to tampa now they're kind of in that same tier of carolina where we've seen them in the playoffs once they made some roster changes based on how that playoff went, that playoff run went, and now they want to initiate their way towards that upper echelon. They want to be in the discussion with the Colorado Avalanches and Vegas Golden Knights of the world as cup contenders on a consistent basis. But before I get to the conversation with Brian, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. Easiest way to do it is subscribing to the show on whatever podcasting platform you like to use. If you are using Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you do have an added responsibility. I need you to leave me a review, man. If you're on Spotify, you have to listen to a few episodes first. But once you do that, it's right there at the top underneath the logo of the show. When you look at the episodes list, leave five stars. That's very helpful. If you're using Apple Podcasts, you go to the show's page. You scroll past our recent episodes. At the bottom, there's going to be five clear purple stars. You hit the one furthest to the right. That's a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. Please leave a few kind words. Support your content creators. We are out here busting our asses to give you guys creative, entertaining, and engaging content. Reviews don't take a lot of time, and they help us out a lot. Okay, the spiel, the preamble, whatever you want to call it, that's that. I will see you guys on the other side of the drop with Brian, and we're going to talk about the Florida Panthers. And with that, I'm very happy to welcome YouTube content creator Brian Smith to the show. How are we doing, Brian? I'm good. I'm good. How are we? How are you doing today? I'm excited that we're getting into that part of the hockey season now where everything starts to magnify because everybody's running out of games to make up progress, even though the East is more or less locked up at this point, which is weird to say 40 games in. I'm very excited to see what happens down the stretch here because like we were talking about before we just recorded, there are a lot of chips to fall. Klinberg is out there. Chitgren is out there. Joe Pavelski might be out there. It's an exciting time as a hockey fan. Yeah, it's going to be a really exciting few months upcoming. And especially for me transitioning a little bit, me as a Panther fan, we haven't, uh, we haven't had many years where we're, you know, near the top of the league standings 40 games in. So it's a very, very exciting time. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where some of those big trade pieces as well fall. So very exciting stuff. So let's start with the obvious, the getting to know you, feeling each other out part of this conversation. So what are your earliest memories of the Florida Panthers? What's your entry point to them as a team? And where does it become just a, okay, this is fun to, okay, this is my, this is my thing for you. So I would say... 2003 which is interesting because i am only you know 20 i'm only 23 years old right my birthday was actually just a few days ago um and uh so i I started watching hockey in 2003 at just the age of four Uh, i started going to games with my grandfather who had 
season tickets for the Panthers all the way back in the nineties. Uh, and he took me to games and I just, I fell in love. Uh, I was actually uh, born in the New York area. So a lot of people ask why I didn't become a Ranger fan, why I didn't become an Islander fan. It's just because my grandfather took me to games back then. And uh, just from watching hockey for so many years, you know, I became obsessed with it and I, I, I still love it. Like I could sit and watch a random hockey game between two non-Florida teams, two teams that I don't care about and just be enthralled. So I just love the game of hockey. What would you say was the the igniting moment where the, was it a specific game, a specific season, anything in particular stand out as like your defining moment, like the the point in the coming of age movie where it kind of all snaps into clarity for you? Um, I think it was just, you know, I don't know that it was even Panthers related. It was just me deciding that I, I finally wanted, this is what I wanted to do in, in starting to make YouTube videos and everything like that. And some of that was just learning the skills, you know, because I am a production major uh, and getting better at that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, I don't know that there was necessarily a specific turning point. Um, some of it may have just been the team getting better as well. Uh, we watched so many really bad hockey teams over the years and you know finally obviously with you know and now it's backfired completely but with the hiring of Joel Quenville uh and with uh you know Barkov and Huberto really becoming superstars in the NHL I think it was just the right time for me uh you know this past year to really become you know a content creator so how has the Panthers being a non-traditional hockey market, do you think, how do you think that's impacted you as a fan and your perspective of hockey? Or do you think it's kind of just a, a perception thing that the non-traditional markets, it impacts the way you interact with hockey? I think that there is an us versus them mentality, uh, as opposed to if you're a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs, if you're a fan of the New York Rangers, if you're a fan of you know, insert big market team, you know, you, you're a diehard for that team, but there's not this, this us versus them mentality that you get when you're from a market where every time, you know, a game happens, you're, you're seeing empty seats jokes and you're yeah. seeing, uh, you know, you know, uh, no fans jokes and things of that nature. So there becomes a very defensive attitude, a little brother attitude almost. Uh, from being from a non-traditional hockey market and it also means that much more when you see your franchise start to succeed you know when you see the Panthers on their latest homestand you know sell over 15,000 for every game for example it means a lot more than it would to somebody uh, who is not from a small market. So let me, before we move on to talking about the actual hockey, as part of this talk, do you think that the attendance issues and the perception has been just, they're a struggling team? Is it the type of market it in, it's in where there's just a lot of other things to do in South Florida? What do you think has been kind of the undercurrent there? Or is it a compounding of a bunch of different things? I think it's a combination. Uh, the first thing that you know, immediately jumps out when you look at how to fix the Panthers attendance issues uh, is the fact that the arena is not in a big city. Uh, that is a big issue for a lot of franchises. You look at Ottawa, yeah. you know, you look at Arizona, you know, that's a big issue uh, that you're, you don't have a, a building in the middle of a city. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's tough for people to get to, um, especially, you know, you almost X out your entire Miami market by having yeah. it in sunrise because it's, the traffic in Miami is brutal and to get to sunrise from Miami, you know, and get to a game by 7 PM is difficult. So the arena is something that I think the Panthers will deal with in the coming years, especially if they continue to make deep playoff runs. Um, however, uh, it's also, um, it's the fact that the team never put money in the ownership, gotcha. never put money into the team for so many years. Uh, you look at the Panthers between the years of 2000 and 2012, no playoff appearances. Uh, you know, they were always near the cap floor and that alienated a lot of fans as well. Uh, and then obviously the entirety of the Dale Talon era, which obviously we'll get to, um, that alienated more fans. So, you know, a lot of people, obviously the team is really good now and the attendance is just steadily growing. Um, people want it to be a sellout right now, but it, it takes a while yeah. to bring back all those fans that you've alienated through losing, through moving the team to sunrise, 
through, you know, all the years where ownership didn't put money into the team through all the years of cost cutting, everything like that. So it's a combination. How would you explain your fan perspective of the team in terms of are you optimist, realist, pessimist, somewhere in between those three? I would say I'm a realist. Okay. Um, I would say, you know, when I when the team is bad, I can clearly see that they're bad. You know, I can clearly see that, you know, with, with those teams, those early Dale Talon teams before we obviously got the coach that we got before we got Bill Zito and everything, you could clearly tell the team was not going to be a cup contender at any point, despite having the talent to do so. So, but now I see the team definitely as a cup contender. So I think it's just realist. I don't think that uh, I'm overly negative. I don't think that I'm overly positive. Just say what I think. Is either particularly better for you when it comes to making content? Because I feel like it's a lot easier to make content about a good team than a bad team. When it's a bad team, you almost kind of have to lean on comedic things as opposed to actually talking about the team. I feel like it's, yeah, for sure. It's it's a lot more fun to make videos yeah. when the team is really good. Uh, so, you know, I can use a lot more things. You're going to get a lot more fans that are going to be piling to your videos right out the start without using any comedic value. You know, obviously the game... Uh, just recently with Kodak Black and everything, yeah. you know, where they won that game nine to two, you know, that video for me was my most popular video to this point. Um, so, you know, you, you, when the team is winning, it's a lot more fun to make videos. But with that said, when the team has a huge loss, like the, when they lost to Ottawa eight to two earlier this year, uh, you will get fans of other teams that will flood your video. So it's, yeah. it's a different kind of, uh, it's a different kind of experience. Uh, I think that, you know, the best, you know, the best, you know, experience as a content creator kind of is what the Panthers are doing now. They're near the top of the league standings. However, they've had some games where they just got, you know, blown out. So you've had, I've had an opportunity to make, you know, both positive and negative videos. And I think that both have their place. So transitioning now a little bit towards the hockey talk. So you mentioned specifically Talon. They've had, they've had an, an interesting period is how I would describe their weird 2010 till Quinville's arrival because they had the one playoff appearance in there where they lose in that game seven to the Islanders, which shouldn't have happened. I, I still I still piss off a lot of Islander fans talking about Vinny Trocek getting tripped, but just that entire era where you get all these pieces in-house and you get Barkov in there, you get Huberto in there, you pick Ekblad first overall, you have late career Roberto Luongo, and you have all these individual pieces, but there's no real continuity. There's no, we play this way, there's no identity. It's just, we're throwing as much at the wall and hoping this works. Yeah. The, the big issue with those teams versus when you look at the team now is that the pieces, as you mentioned, were there. I mean, Roberto Luongo, his last couple seasons here, with the exception of, you know, the last year where he was just done, uh, he played at nearly a Vesna rate yeah, uh, almost every year. You know, even in, you know, I believe it was 17, 18, he had a, a 930, you know, which yeah. for a guy who's, you know, uh, you know, in his upper 30s, that's just unbelievable. Um, you know, you look at, they had Barkov, they had Huberto, you know, you had Yager for a while. Yeah. Uh, and you had Riley Smith, you had, uh, you know, Vincent Trocek, you had Aaron Ekblad on the back end. There was really no excuse for the team to have not been good. The big issue with the, with the franchise and with Dale Talon and the reason that he's no longer the general manager is he never quite knew how to fill out the roster uh, beyond those guys. You know, th there was a constant reliance on, uh, fourth line checking forwards and, and gritty veterans. Uh, and so when it came to, you know, winning games down the stretch, the team really struggled to do that. They, they struggled when the games got close to score goals. And, you know, they also struggled to keep the puck out of their own net. You know, the decor looks completely different today than when it did under Dale Talon. And you, you had a, too much of a reliance on guys that didn't play any defense. Would you say the easiest way to compare it to a modern comparison is what Vancouver's done the last two or three years, where they've constantly tried to figure out the bottom six around their young stars, and the bottom six is overpaid and older 
and bigger, not necessarily the fastest group. Their defensemen are either very big and slow or very small and don't play defense. And it's a similar comparison. It's not a direct one-to-one, but in terms of the mistakes in the team building, you can see some parallels there. I mean, Gabranson, Florida got rid of him, got rid of him, sent him to Vancouver, and he's been ping-ponged around. But just a comparison I thought of while you were talking there. Yeah, I think that's actually a really, really good comparison. I've actually had this talk with uh, several Canuck fans uh, because I have a lot of Canuck fans who who subscribe to my YouTube channel and stuff like that. Obviously, there's a big Panther Canuck connection over the years uh, between traded players and stuff like that. You mentioned Gabranson, but obviously Luongo and yeah. Beret and all those guys. But, um, you know, I think that's actually a really good comparison because the Canucks have all the pieces that the Panthers did during the talent era. You got, you know, your blue chip prospect and Elias and Elias Pettersson who has all the potential to be a star. You have supplemental guys like Brock Besser, JT Miller, et cetera. You have a Quinn Hughes who has potential to be a top 10 defenseman, top five defenseman in the national hockey league, you know, and you have Thatcher Demko who is, you know, although, you know, not considered a top five goaltender necessarily, he is a very strong top half goaltender in the national hockey league. So, you know, when you look on paper, the Canucks have all of the pieces there it is just the surrounding parts. And that is basically where the Panthers were at uh, before they hired Bill Zito. So I think that there's a lot to be, if you're a Canucks fan right now, there's a lot to be excited about looking at the Florida Panthers and realizing how quickly they were able to turn it around. Uh, They just got to get that GM hire, right? How frustrating is the expansion draft, the Vegas expansion draft in hindsight? Uh, I think it was frustrating at the time. I don't even think I needed hindsight to be frustrated. I mean, it didn't make any sense at the time. Uh, obviously, Jonathan Marcheseau coming off of a 30-goal season. He made no money. He was under contract for another year. That was a guy who had value. You know, there was no reason to give him away. If you wanted to get rid of Riley Smith's contract, which, you know, is is fine. You know, he was making what was considered to be too much money at the time. I don't know that it actually was. Um but if you want, you could have traded Jonathan March or so for, you know, some pretty premium assets at that point, you know, he's a 30 goal scorer making nothing. So I just didn't think it made sense. It was frustrating at the time. And then when, you know, you see the team struggle, you know, death wise, you know, you look at the 2020 bubble roster for the Florida Panthers and, you know, they have guys like Noel Achari on their second line and, you know, Brett Connolly on their third line. And, you know, and that was Brett Connolly once, you know, he kind of fell apart. You know, you, you look at that, like, you know, just with frustration, you know, what, what could have been, you know, the past few years. So, you know, it's a little easier to digest now that we have guys like Carter Verhage and Anthony Duclair for, you know, very little money. But, uh, you know, for the past few years before Bill Zito, it was quite frustrating. What would you say was the biggest reason Aaron Ekblad didn't reach where he was last year until last year because the talent was obviously there. You're a defenseman and you get picked first overall. You have premium traits that it's very hard for a defenseman to go first overall. And it took him quite a while to really explode into what he could be. And you saw it last year up until the injury problem. I think that, I mean, the first thing that you got to point to is the injuries. Yeah. I mean, he, he compiled several concussions at the beginning of his career and as somebody that has had several concussions uh, that can affect your confidence completely uh, so and I think we saw that you know when he had that concussion at the world cup of hockey right yeah. when he had that concussion there uh, he was not the same the season he came back the confidence wasn't there you know he was clearly thinking too hard on the ice and and afraid to make contact and I think that you know once Really once, you know, Joel Quenville got here and, you know, I hate to praise him, but, you know, once he got here, uh, you know, you, you saw Aaron Eckblad become a lot more comfortable. Uh, you know, you started seeing him use his body, use his physicality again. And I think that that's when, uh, you know, he really stepped into the role of, of elite, you know, two-way defenseman. Uh, I think that if it weren't for those concussions, you might've seen that earlier in his career. Uh, but obviously, you know, there was a point where we, we were concerned that he was going to be, you know, the next guy like Eric Lindros, where he was going to yeah. be, you know, out of, out of the league early because of concussions. So, you know, cross your fingers, knock on wood that he doesn't get any more, but, you know, seems, seems that he's passed those issues. 
So naturally, we do have to discuss it a little bit. So Quinville gets there. There's the air of excitement. Okay, this is a young team, Stanley Cup proven coach. And that gives your team an air of legitimacy. I know organizations in every sport are guilty of doing this, where they immediately go and pluck people from other organizations that are successful and bring them into bad situations and say, this guy's won before, he knows what it'll take to fix it. And it doesn't always work. We've seen this a few times now where John Tortorella is still skating by on a Stanley Cup ring he won 15 years ago. Peter Laviolette is still skating by on a Stanley Cup championship from 16, 17 years ago. D- but, Dale Talon got 10 years as Florida Panthers yeah. general manager because of the Chicago Blackhawks, so yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we see this repeatedly. And speaking about what was it about that first year that Quinville got there? What changed in terms of the on-ice performance that made the team so much better than it was the year before? Uh, I think it was just, there was definitely an aura of legitimacy. You go from Bob Bugner, who was a first time head coach, um, who had his faults for sure here. And uh, you could clearly see them in, in, you know, the 18, 19 season where the team had talent and it just completely massively underachieved. Um, And it brought immediately a level of compete in the players. You know, they wanted to compete for him. Uh, they believed, you know, in his system and they really bought in, you know, and, and even though, you know, in that 1920 season, his first year, they weren't the team that you see now. Uh, he, he laid the roots really in that season for the compete level uh, and for, you know, j- just the overall culture of the team. Uh, obviously, they needed to go out and hire Bill Zito to get new players. But I think that... Um, you know, the, the culture was really established then. What would you say is the biggest difference in terms of the types of talent that Florida is looking to acquire now, where we've seen them kind of target, like you had mentioned before, the more big physical veteran guys to round out the bottom. Is it simple as just getting smaller and faster, or are there specific traits that you've noticed that Florida's looking into specifically? Well, there's there's a couple of, of different ways that they are. They have a full you know, for the first time really since that debacle with, you know, the computer boys and the media fallout of all that, there was a real reliance on not going back to analytics. Um, Mm. I think that when they put Dale Talon back in the general manager chair in 2017, you know, they hired Chris Pronger to come in and and do some things with the organization. They hired Bob Bugner, who's kind of known as an old school coach. Um, And you, you know, they, they kind of went away from analytics for a while. And then when they rehired Bill Zito, they brought fourth you know an entire analytics team and they weren't afraid to go back to analytics while also bringing in a guy like Paul Fenton to be that old school hockey guy as well so they really have a full you know analytics they really have guys that are going and scouting in person it's just a much greater team than what we saw under Dale Talon Dale Talon kind of ran a tight ship Bill Zito is more open to opinions in terms of the players themselves that they're going after again good analytics players on you know cheap deals, guys that haven't been discovered yet. You look at Carter Verhage, yeah. you know, who was originally signed for $1 million, uh, still playing on that $1 million contract this season. You know, Anthony Duclair, obviously guy with good, uh, you know, underlying numbers, you know, but teams kept throwing them away, uh, you know, and, and I think that there's also this, you know, desire to go and get guys that, you know, were high draft picks. Yeah. were maybe not succeeding in their past locations, but maybe just needed a change of scenery. And so you saw that with Sam Bennett. You saw that with Brandon Montour. You saw that, you know, obviously with Olio Levy, who has played well since getting to Florida. So th- they have this, this system in place where they are going to go get guys that are under the radar that they believe have high potential. And it's worked for them. So I think that that's really uh, the biggest difference. How would you assess how Brunette has done in this interim capacity since Quinville was relieved? Honestly, I think um, it's such a tough position to yeah. put Brunette in. I mean, Brunette is not a guy who has ever been a head coach before. This isn't like, you know, you're turning to one of the biggest, brightest, you know, head coaching prospects. You know, you're turning to a guy who has only been a coach for a couple of years and when you take everything into account, I don't think that he's been able to handle it better than he has. Um, I think that, you know, he's kept the train on the tracks. Uh, the Panthers are still looking the same. 
uh, and they they're still running the same systems that they were under a previous coach. And I, I think that that is such a, a feather in the cap of Andrew Burnett. And I think that if the Panthers continue to play like this all season, maybe even when the president's trophy that he should get some Jack Adams votes Definitely. because the job that he has done to keep this, you know, especially because he's dealt with a lot more turmoil on the ice as well than, than Q had to, you know, uh, Q was fired when the Panthers were eight. No, they were completely healthy. Obviously the Panthers dealt with an entire roster full of guys getting COVID, you know, yeah. Barkov missed half the season, you know, he got injured almost immediately after Burnett took the job. And just the fact that the Panthers are in first place still, you know, with all that going on, it's, you got to give Burnett a ton of credit and, I think that if the Panthers get out of the first round this year for the first time uh, in over 20 years, Burnett will for sure be returning as the head coach next season. That was going to be my next question because originally when Quinville was relieved, there was some conjecture that they were going to look for a veteran coach to be hired right away. Do you think they made the right decision in sticking with an interim coach as opposed to going out and getting a head coach who was unemployed at the time, whether it be Boudreaux or Tortorella or somebody I haven't mentioned? I think that uh, the proof is kind of in the pudding and the fact that they yeah. are uh, still in first place that I think that it was the right decision. I think that the team was rolling uh, and just, just, you know, dominating teams so hard that you couldn't get away too much from, you know, the systems that they were currently running. You know, if you brought in somebody like Bruce Boudreaux, if you brought in somebody like John Sportarella, they were going to want to play their own style of play with this unit. And I think that that would have been the wrong decision. I think that going to Bruno was the right decision and I think that uh, in terms of if he's going to keep the job moving forward, um, it's really going to depend on playoff success. I mean, this is yeah. a team that's built to go far in the playoffs this year. You know, we obviously hear rumors, I'm sure we'll get to, you know, about guys that they are targeting at the trade deadline. They're definitely going to be buyers. You know, if Bruno can, can lead this team to a deep playoff run, there's zero reason he won't be named the full-time head coach of this team. How would you explain, how surprised are you that Bobrovsky has returned to borderline top five numbers at that position after what he was last year where he kind of lost the job to Drieger and then once they called up Spencer Knight, Bob was the backup most nights for cap reasons to move it around, but how surprised are you with how he's played this year? Uh, I have kind of two differing opinions on it. From my, I've watched every Panther game for the past two years opinion. I'm very surprised because okay. the mechanics, the mechanics were off. Uh, you know, he was constantly in the wrong position. He was getting beat. You know, it almost appeared something mentally was off there. Um, so I was surprised from that perspective. However, when you look at the history of goaltenders, you know, as they start to age, as well as Sergei Bobrovsky's own personal history, you know, he kind of has this, this history of, putting forth a Vesna caliber season, putting forth a good season, and then, you know, a couple bad years and then another Vesna year, you know, you're not always going to get Vesna Bob every single year. And I think that, you know, you've seen goalies like this in the past. Pecorine was a lot yeah. like that um, and other goalies like that. And I just think that that's Sergei Bobrovsky now. I think that that's why the Panthers really should go all in this year. You know, you don't know what you're going to get from Bob on a year to year basis. And he's playing like a Vesna candidate now. So you know, this is potentially the Panthers' best chance to win a cup. How would you assess how they've handled that position since Luongo left in terms of what they did last year with the three goalies, where they are this year, where they said, okay, we're going to let Drieger go because we know we have Spencer Knight waiting to take this job eventually. What are your thoughts on how they've handled that position? Well, obviously, even with Bobrovsky having his, you know, resurgence this year, you wouldn't sign that contract. No. Uh, you, you wouldn't. I mean, it's, it's too much money. Even for, you know, obviously it looks a lot less bad this year now that he's got, you know, a 925 save percentage, obviously an incredible record. Um, but you still wouldn't sign eight years, 10 million. Obviously, Bill Zito likely never signs that contract. You likely go after a guy like Semyon Varlamov or Robin Leonard, um, a, a capable starter who would have made a lot less money. Um, however, since the signing of Sergey Bobrovsky, I think they've handled it quite well, actually. Um, they... You know, drafting Spencer Knight obviously was somewhat of a controversial decision at the time. But even though he's, you know, had his ups and downs this season, he looks like a genuine, you know, starter in the future. Um, and I think they're bringing him along slowly. Uh, they're not just throwing him uh, in there, you know, for half the games this year. And I think that he's doing quite well. 
uh, with his development uh, being only 20 years old. Uh, in terms of Chris Drieger, they really had no choice. Spencer Knight yeah. was already on his ELC, uh, you know, and you had to at least, especially after that series in Tampa, you had to see what he had, and Chris Drieger was going to get paid uh, as a borderline starter. So, you know, I think that how they've handled it has been quite good. And obviously, I wouldn't be surprised to see them potentially go out and acquire a veteran backup at the trade deadline as well. Yeah, that's always something we talk about with the contenders. We saw Colorado do that last year, so they didn't run into the same problem they had in the bubble where they went out and got a backup just in case your starter gets hurt. Because when you have a season like this, a team like this, you can't afford going from a genuine 55-start guy to somebody who has a 9-10 career save percentage in the playoffs because you're setting, you're not doing yourself any favor. So it would make sense for Florida to do that. In, in terms of what's changed over time, would you say the Panthers have crossed over from that nice story they were last year of this team is fun, they're exciting, they've got a lot of young stars to now the expectation is we should be in the playoffs more or less every year? I would say absolutely. I think that last year uh, they really caught some some teams by surprise. I mean, yeah. there were there were people that thought they could be good. I don't think anybody uh, thought they would be that good, um, that they would, you know, take Tampa to six games and, and be a legitimate contender last year. Uh, however, I think that now you're not sneaking up on anybody. I mean, yeah. you look and you listen to some of these head coaches after we play them, you know, talk about the Panthers. There's a respect for the Panthers this year as one of the league's top teams. And for a franchise that hasn't been at a round one uh, since 1996, uh, I think the expectation is that you're going to get past round one this year and that for the next couple of years, you're going to be in the cup conversation. In terms of what makes them so effective, the thing that really jumped out at me when they played the Rangers, I think that was like two Fridays ago, it's just how fast they are throughout their entire lineup. The Rangers, it seemed like, didn't get to a single 50-50 puck that entire game. Just like Florida constantly on the puck, aggressively forechecking, not giving the Rangers any room. And it seems like that is where the game has to go naturally. Just if there's that many speed guys on the ice at one time, and if you're not playing that style, you're not going to be able to be successful against some of the more elite teams in the league, like Florida, like Carolina, like Colorado, like Vegas, hell, even the Leafs to some extent of just, we're going to have as many fast guys on the ice as possible and good luck trying to get the puck from us. Yeah, that's for sure where the game is going. I mean, you know, you look, but it's also that the Panthers have those heavy four checkers in their bottom six as well. You know, you look at guys yeah. like Maxime Mammon, who's come yeah. in and been really good for them. Mason Marchment as well, Patrick Hornquist. So they have guys in their bottom six that really grind you down and who can, he can score goals as well. It's not like they're liabilities. And then when you get up to their top six, they're just so fast, yeah. you know, that you're being worn down by their bottom six. And then here comes Barkov over the boards. Here comes Duclair over the boards. Here comes Verhage, Reinhardt, you know, and you just can't keep up with them. And that's not even mentioning Huberto and Bennett and now Anton Lundell. Yeah. So, you know, they just have so much speed and then they just wear you down with their heavy four checking game. And, they're such a tough team to go three periods with. And that's why they are the highest scoring third period team in the league because they just wear you down with their speed. They have one of the best underlying profiles of any team in recent memory. I mean, Colorado last year was just absurd. They were like close to 60% of the goals scored in games. But to be sitting at 58% of the goals, just not even expected goals, just goals period at five on five is absurd to be where florida is in terms of offense right now and it's weird because you look at that roster on paper aside from barkov you don't think of any of those guys as gaudy point total people there's not really a lot of 180 even 80 point threats in that lineup but there's just so much quality up and down that they wear you down and that third line can chip in a goal here and there that fourth line is going to pin you down and i think if you're not designing your roster with this mindset you're not setting yourself up for success. You have to be able to have that kind of depth top to bottom where the bottom six does need to be able to score every now and then. Yeah, I think that when you look at the Panthers, it's not the, you know, the Toronto Maple Leaf style where yeah. you're going to have three guys with 100 points. You know, although Barkov and Huberto are legitimate superstars in the league, I think that, you know, what really stands out is the amount of 60-point guys they have in their yeah. lineup. 
the amount of 50 point guys they have in their lineup, the amount of guys that are going to score 20 goals. I mean, you look down, you know, and obviously you got guys like Carter Verhage, whose underlying numbers are fantastic. And, you know, the 5v5 goal scoring is top 10 in the league, you know, and you look at Anthony Duclair, who, you know, as a supplemental piece really breaks down other teams with his speed, you know, and then you get down Sam Bennett, you know, who has really had a career resurgence and obviously Sam Reinhart, who was fantastic in Buffalo and is, you know, just thriving in the Panthers offense as well. And then you got a rookie like Anton Lundell on your third line, who's going to chip in 50 points and, you know, you got quality, quality depth all the way down your lineup. You know, even a fourth line center like Etu Lusterainen, who's had a real, real good year. Uh, they just, they have so much depth. And, you know, they have Joe Thornton, who's not even playing every night. Yeah. You have Noel Achari, who hasn't played any games this season. Um, you have, you know, guys up and down. They could really ice six lines. And that's just so valuable for a team that, uh, for a team going into the playoffs. Yeah. So transitioning to the next part of this conversation about just confidence and how you're feeling about things. So let's start at the top. How do you feel about ownership empowering the front office to do what they need to do to make the team successful? Um, I think that pre Bill Zito, the answer was not very confident Um, because, you know, you'd constantly hear these reports of, Oh, they're looking to cut 10 million here. They're looking to cut you know, some salary here. And that was always very disappointing when you would read those things. Um, But I think that now that the team has shown that they are capable of a deep playoff run, that, you know, putting in the money actually can yield results. I think that the ownership is all in. I think that they understand that putting in the money will bring results. So I'm pretty confident now. But if you asked me that same question a couple of years ago, you wouldn't have gotten the same answer. How confident are you in the front office's ability to identify talent? Uh, a plus. I mean, yeah. you can't you can't get better than the job that Bill Zito has done since coming in. I mean, he's nailed almost 100% of the moves that he's made. I mean, just going out and acquiring guys like Sam Bennett and Brandon Montour and grabbing Gustav Forsling off of waivers and, you know, Carter Verhage for a million and Anthony Duclair for 1.7 and locking all those guys up long-term. Um, and getting them all under contract at good numbers, you can't have anything but supreme confidence in Bill Zito and the staff. So we'll take a detour here. What do you think they are looking at going and getting before the trade deadline? So we already mentioned a veteran goaltender. We mentioned Chikrin at the top. What specifically, not even specific player, but what role are they still looking for out there? I think that when you look at the Panthers, the, the big hole on the team still is uh, a second pairing defenseman. Um, I think that that's a hole that a lot of playoff teams will identify that they want to go get better. That's why you have to generally pay a premium for a defenseman at the deadline. Um, but, you know, you look at the Panthers, their top pairing is obviously one of the best in the NHL with Uyghur yeah. and Ekblad. Um, fantastic, you know, that's fine. But their second pairing, there's a pretty big drop-off with Gustav Forsling and then Radko Gudis. Yeah. Um, so, and Gudis has been strong. Forsling uh, has been okay this season as well. Um, but you, you, you'd like to have a little bit more uh, depth of that position. You'd like to be able to kick one of those guys down to the bottom pair to really fill out your lineup. Um, there's been rumors that they're going after basically every defenseman on the market. Yeah from Chikrin to Sherratt to, you know, you know, take your pick at any defensive name on the market. The Panthers have probably inquired. So I think that they, they have the same idea as me that they want to go after, you know, probably that second pairing D uh, and they're willing to pay a price to get it. What's the asset bundle looking like? How, what's your, how many chips do you have that you actually would mind parting with to go out and get someone like a Chikrin who's under contract for a while at a reasonable number, or, or you think you guys are more in the rental market where it's a one year and then based on how the postseason goes, we'll reassess our relationship with said acquisition. I think that Chikrin is a little bit special in the sense that you don't get a defenseman that comes along. First of all, that is from South Florida that played yeah. for the junior Panthers growing up, whose dad works for the organization. Um, you don't get a player like Jacob Chikrin that comes up a lot who wants to be a Florida Panther. 
Um, and so I think that he's a little bit different. I would give a lot more assets for him than I would give for a guy, you know, say like John Klingberg. I don't think the Panthers should be in the market for a guy like John Klingberg. I think that Chikrin's special. He's the only one where I would give up premium assets for. But if it's not Chikrin, it should probably be a rental. Um, because when you look at the Florida Panthers, they don't have a first round pick this year. Uh, they obviously used it to go and get Sam Reinhart. Yeah. Um, they don't have a second round pick either because they went and they got Sam Bennett. Yeah. So obviously both of those trades have worked out, but you don't have necessarily the picks this year uh, to go out and get a guy like John Klingberg. So I think the only guy that I would, you know, you know, maybe even consider, you know, a guy like Spencer Knight, Anton Lundell, or, you know, these huge packages for is Jacob Chikrin. Um, that was, besides that, that was, though, I think, yeah, we should be in the that, rental market. That was going to be my next question because Merrick said that on 32 Thoughts like last week. And I was like, we're talking about Jacob Chikrin here. You know, this is somebody <laughs> who we're based on potential. I'm not parting with Lindbergh, uh, I'm Lundell or Spencer Knight. I'm not parting with both of those in the same trade. That the the rumor mill always gets a little bit crazy where we kind of have to fill this space because the trade deadline is late this year because everybody was expecting the Olympics to take place. So the whole three weeks they were supposed to be on pause. And then the deadline being late this year is going to lead to a lot of this. So we just talked about the front office and feel how we feel about them. How do you feel about Brunette getting the most out of this lineup based on what they have at the moment? Well, first of all, I feel like I should touch on uh, that. I would not feel comfortable with the Panthers giving up both of those guys. Yes. Uh, yeah. That would be a massive overpayment. I don't think Bill Zito would be even close to willing. Uh, I don't even know if they're going to be willing to give up one of those guys. Yeah. Uh, because they are both legitimate blue chip prospects. You either get one or you don't get either. I don't yeah. think that putting both on the table for Jacob Chikorin is even, you know, that would be more than what any of these recent stars have gotten. You look at Mark Stone, you look at, you know, any of these guys that that would be more than any of them have gotten. So I don't think that there's a chance that the Panthers would put both of them on the table. In terms of uh, Brunette maximizing this roster, I think he's actually done a fairly good job. I mean, you know, he obviously reunited the Huberto Bennett Duclair line, which looks like one of the hottest lines in hockey. Uh, he found a way to get them together while keeping Barkov, Verhage, and Reinhardt together. And that's a fantastic line as well. Um, I think that he, he's done an excellent job of utilizing this roster to its, its ability. And uh, I look forward to seeing uh, how he's going to continue to do that in the future and continue to uh, utilize guys that come in. Cause I don't think that Bill Zito is going to stand pat with this roster. I think that he understands that, you know, this is kind of a perfect storm for the team to be a cup contender and that he's going to go out and he's going to add to this roster. How does that division make you feel going into the playoffs because of this current alignment we have where you're going to play a divisional opponent in the first and probably the second round? How does it feel to know you're probably looking at Carolina, Tampa, Toronto in round one or two? And I two, I should it, say. Yeah, I think that it provides more of a desire for us to want to win the division. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the ability to, to avoid that 2-3 matchup, although I'm not necessarily afraid of a team like Toronto, um, you certainly don't want it to be Tampa in round one again. I mean, that's the last thing that this team needs. Um, you, you, it's more of an emphasis to continue to win games in the regular season uh, and try to win the division uh, so you can avoid that 2-3 matchup in the Atlantic, which is likely going to go seven games no matter who it is. So I think that if the Panthers can avoid that, maybe play a team like Pittsburgh in round one uh, or somebody like that, that they would be in a much better position to, to make it far in the playoffs. However, with that said, I mean, the eight teams are kind of locked in yeah. this year. They're all good. I mean, there's no easy matchups in the East this year at all. I mean, no matter if you're playing Pittsburgh or Florida, Tampa, Carolina, you know, it really doesn't matter. You're going to play a good team who's got their own strengths and, you know, I don't think that you're going to see any sweeps this year in the Eastern Conference. So I, I think that, you know, it, it's more about uh, let's stay healthy and we can beat anybody. You know, let's you, try to go into the playoffs healthy. Do you think there's something to the getting over the hump and it specifically being against Tampa would kind of be, a, I don't know what the word would be, a signal that 
you know, this is the team for real? Or do you think it's just we win who we play and we worry about it when we get there? Because that's a real thing. Because you think about it all the years, the Yankees and the Red Sox forever and ever. Red Sox finally exercised their demons, beat the Yankees. That's a real sign of progress. You see it in basketball a little bit more frequently where one person will finally get over the hump against the team that's been giving them a hard time over and over again. Do you think that's the case here for Florida? I think the bigger hump for the Panthers is getting out of the first round. Okay. Uh, I think that that's the bit. It's kind of like, yeah, Toronto has a problem with getting past Boston, but I think that they just have a problem getting out of the first round entirely. I think that's the big mental hurdle. Obviously, the Panthers, they have the longest drought of not getting out of the first round in the league right now. Uh, they haven't been out of the first round since 96. So, you know, I think that's the big mental hurdle is once you get out of the first round, I think that this team can win it all. Uh, but I think that's the big hurdle in terms of playing the lightning. Uh, I think that every, every Panther fan probably dreams about beating the lightning and then going on to win a cup kind of the same way the Washington capitals uh, yeah. were able to defeat the penguins finally, and then won the cup. Uh, it's, it's very much little brother beating big brother finally and taking their spot. Um, and I, I think that, you know, at some point I would like to play Tampa in the playoffs and I would like to, to beat Tampa in the playoffs. You know, and I think that that would be a big signal that we have arrived. So I think that there's definitely some truth to getting over the hurdle that is Tampa. I just think getting past the first round is the big hurdle. So ideally, you want to get past that first round. Would you say that is the expectation for this team this year? If you don't get out of the first round, the season was a failure? 100%. I think that this team, obviously, you look at where they are. Uh, You look at the talent that's on this roster. You look at the depth that's on this roster. You got veterans, obviously. You got locker room guys like Joe Thornton, Patrick Hornquist, obviously. You know, you you have everything you need to make a deep playoff run on this team. You know, you look at the speed. You look at the depth. You look at, you know, Bob's playing the best season he has in Florida. Best season he has probably in the last half decade. You got to get past the first round this year. If you don't, I think that the Panthers will go out and hire a new coach, regardless of how they finish the year. Uh, I think that there is an expectation that this has to be the year you get past round one, you know, and ideally you'd like to see them get past round two as well. Uh, You'd like to see them make a conference final, make that deep playoff push. Finally, that will really get the attention of the market. So I think that it's time for them to make that deep playoff run. So the last question I have is very straightforward. Do you think this team has enough playoff experience for a prolonged playoff run? Because we always talk about this. The young team that needs to make the playoffs a couple of times, have their get embarrassed once or twice by a better older team. Do you think the Panthers had their one dose of that last year against Tampa and they're ready for this? Or do you think that it's going to be a... we're going to get to the second round. We'll lose in the second round. Maybe we get to a conference final down the road. Or do you feel like this group is more or less ready in terms of experience, in terms of playoff hockey? I think that uh, this team is more ready than I would say other teams that have not had okay. necessarily those playoff runs. I think that Bill Zito put an emphasis on acquiring locker room guys that have won cups. You know, Hornquist, obviously. Joe Thornton hasn't won a cup, but he's obviously been to, you know, a cup and has been around for a million years. You know, Bobrovsky has had a lot of playoff experience at this point. Um, You look at just up and down the roster, they have experience. You know, and I think that when, you you know, if it's not Chikorin, it'll probably be another guy who has playoff experience that'll come in here on on the decor to stabilize the top four. And so I think that they have a lot more experience in their lineup than people think. And I think that even though the Florida Panthers hockey team doesn't have a ton of playoff experience, the roster does. And so I think that um, just the fact that they're, they have so much depth, they, they do have that physical element in their game um, and they're getting the goaltending right now. I think that they are ready to make a deep playoff run. And if they don't, it's a disappointment. That's kind of where I'm at on them, too. Coming into this year, I wanted to make sure, you know, last year wasn't just a weird division alignment type deal, that they were actually this good. And they've been better than I expected because I didn't expect Bob to bounce back like he has. So I definitely think first round you don't want to play tampa in the first round if you can help it but i think they have the talent to go toe-to-toe with tampa this year that would be very fun in terms of your biggest concern going forward is there anything that sticks out to you before i get you out of here in terms of this team needs to address this or we need to be able to do this that we're not at the moment 
So I think that when you look at the Panthers lineup, I think that they really have to address that backup goaltending position. I think that, you know, it's not that I, uh, you know, don't think Spencer Knight is capable. I think it's more that Sergei Bobrovsky is so volatile and that you need to be able to, if Bob falters in the first round of the playoffs, if he get reverts back to form that he was the past few years, you need to be able to rely on somebody. Um, you know, I think that names that would make sense, obviously, you know, if if Yaroslav Halak would be a guy that I would target, uh, Braden Holtby, even obviously on a one-year deal, um, maybe Martin Jones, uh, who's had actually who's actually been playing pretty well in Philadelphia. Uh, you would target one of those kind of guys just to have some stability if Bob falters up, get a guy that's been there, get a guy that's played playoff games. So in terms of that, that's something that I would look at. Um, in terms of um, things that would concern me going into the playoffs, that's about it, to be honest. I mean, you know, you might want to get that that other defenseman, but I trust that Bill Zito will go out and get that defenseman, even if he has to pay a premium. He's shown that he will go get the guys that he wants to get. So I think that that's the only real concern that I have. I think offensively, they're arguably the best forward core in the league, and they're arguably the deepest forward core in the league. I think that you don't have to touch the forward core uh, at all and that you'll be just fine going into the playoffs. I just think it's getting that extra piece on defense and maybe getting that backup goaltending stability. Thank you so much for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Promote your YouTube a little bit. Yes, so uh, it's uh, youtube.com slash Metal Panthers, uh, Metal Panthers YouTube channel. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Metal Panthers as well. Uh, I do recaps basically for every game when I can, uh, as well as other videos. Uh, I'm coming out with a video today on uh, the pros and cons of the Panthers potentially trading for Jacob Chikrin. So that should be a fun one. Uh, obviously, I have a ton of videos this season on the recap stuff. And uh, I'll be coming out with a lot more recaps coming forward. So make sure you guys go subscribe. Thank you for coming on. This is fun. I love talking hockey with people who are as crazy as me. It makes it a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's awesome to be able to, to come on here. And thank you. And I'd love to come on again sometime. Uh, Closer to the playoffs. Yeah. Absolutely. 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 Because, yeah. you know, it should be regardless of who the Panthers play. It should be one yes. of the primetime matchups in the first round. You know, regardless of if it's Tampa or Toronto or Pittsburgh or whoever it is, it's going to be a big time opponent. It helps that the Panthers are so easy to watch. Like even to somebody who's like a casual hockey fan, it's just so easy to see why they're good. And it's not always the case. Like I'll be watching the Rangers and just being like, oh my God, because they can't string together four consecutive passes. But Florida, it's just constant motion. It's so easy to watch. It's so, so fun to watch. Absolutely. And, and that kind of helps with the content creation as yeah. well, for sure. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, you know, I'm not sitting there like, oh boy, we're winning this game again because our goaltender is stealing the game for us every yeah. single game. You know, what am I going to come on and talk about? You know, there's, there's constant new, new scores and, you know, they're constantly getting contributions from different guys and it's fun to watch. So definitely as we get closer to playoff time, uh, we'll have more to talk about. So. Absolutely. All right. I want to thank Brian for stopping by. We will be back tomorrow. We will be discussing the Henrik Lundqvist jersey retirement. Friday, we will be doing conference championship preview. It's a good content week. I will see you guys tomorrow.